This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. On to the left wing for Miller. Fires in. He scores! Down the left wing, top of the circle. Shoots down low. Markstrom kicks it out off the pad. Big rebound to Horvath in the slot. He scores! Now Rasmus Anderson through the middle. is stopped by Temko. With a Kirk McLean glove hand save. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Big rebound to Horvath in the slot. He scores! Miller in front for Horvath. He scores! Delays. Deeks to the forehead. He scores! Anderson to the goal. Stop there by Bernard. Rebound. Garland. He hit the crossbar. It's in. Anderson in a low shoot. He scores! Canucks back in black, baby. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win 7-1. Dominate the Calgary Flames here at Rogers Arena. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. As we break down a massive Canucks victory, 7-1 over the Flames here at Rogers Arena. A lot of great performances tonight. Thatcher Demko almost got the shutout. The Flames had to get a goal late to take that away from him, but... Man, did he ever look just like Kirk McLean in his get-up tonight. He sure Hershey. did, and he made a Kirk McLean-esque type save with the glove. And there was only one I was disappointed. He didn't stack the pads tonight. Uh, I, I bet you he wanted to. I bet you he wanted to. Just The, the moment never arose. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? Other than that, he was pretty damn good, Sat. <laughs> uh, was he ever? He set the tone in the first period. If the Flames get one in the first, it's a different hockey game. Well, those two breakaways from Mangiapane, yeah. right? One he makes a poke check on, the other one he makes a save on. I mean, those yep. two, you're right. And especially with how the Canucks have struggled when they give up the first goal. A big, big moment here. I mean, they won 7-1, but that sequence early on was big by Demko. Uh, it really was. And this team goes as Demko goes. They, they really do. Um, Jim Rutherford called it right. And he just said, we've got a franchise goaltender. And... We'll build a team around that. And that's what you have to do. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, Pedersen's playing better and better. Uh, JT Miller, what do you have, four points tonight? Two and two? Four. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I've heard those Toronto rumors are all garbage. So, uh, we'll see what, what transpires. But don't believe everything you hear. Well, especially right now, Hershey. I mean, it, they've won now four out of the last five. And internally, what they were talking about is, hey, we're 6-3-1 in our last 10 games. We won four out of our last five. This is the first time all season they're three points over the 500 mark. It's still a long way to go, but these are the types of wins that they have been telling themselves they need, and they talked about the importance of having this victory heading on that four-game road trip because from this point on, if they want to be in the race, like we've talked about so much, they got to win essentially two out of three games consistently just to kind of be in the race. So now you win this game tonight and you're able to win two out of four on the road trip. This team and this group is going to feel like they're still in the race. Yeah, and you, that's what you have. You can't, you can't ever give up hope in that locker room until you're mathematically eliminated. You, you just don't. It's just it's not ingrained in your in your DNA. You just you don't. And you know, and, and anything can happen. I mean, it's a long shot. Anything can happen. We've seen strange things happen before. 
And who knows, maybe some teams start really fall, uh, falling. You, you just you don't know. But this road trip coming up is going to show uh, where where this season's going to go. I mean, if they don't have a good road trip, well, you know, we'll, we'll know for sure. So I think this road trip's a big part of it, and we'll I, see. I do feel like, um, you know, this was – you think about coming out of the San Jose game, they get blasted by Anaheim and what was such a big game. You know, they win a game they absolutely should over a bad Seattle Kraken team. But you're kind of looking at this one and being like, okay, what what Canucks team is going to show up tonight? And as much as, you know, Demko did make some huge stops in the first, that was a pretty even first period, even though it ended up 0-0. And the Canucks, especially the Pedersen line, generated quite a few opportunities. And then they really took advantage in the second. I just... I feel like this team needed a big performance like this, one where they just kind of run away with it yeah. and really build confidence and be like, you know, guys, like we're still a pretty good hockey team, and when our top guys are going, we're going to be hard to beat. And you see that tonight. Two goals from Pedersen, two goals from Horvat, two goals from Miller. Yeah. This is exactly what Boudreaux said when he came in on day one. I got three centermen, Miller, Horvat, Pedersen. That can be really high end, and – when they play like this, yeah, they are going to be difficult to beat when you have those three guys going the way that they were tonight. Yeah, and, you know, Hershey, going beyond that now, as far as the power play is concerned, they broke out in a big way on the power play tonight. How big do you think that is for this group? Oh, it's yeah, it's, it's just confidence. It's all confidence. Um they picked Markstrom apart, which was interesting. Most teams go after his glove side, yeah, and a lot of teams did. And, and tonight, the Canucks went after his blocker, and they were successful. Yeah, so the, the Pedersen one timer and Miller's uh, Miller's goal top top. Miller's corner. goal was an absolute rocket, and what a shot that was! It's it, kind of a small window he fit it, into. He, as he well. really did, and he scored that in San Jose in OT. Yeah, so um, just confidence, right? That, that's really what it is in the black skate the skate jersey. It's got, Make, makes them it's feel got mean. magic in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Boudreaux said that um, he wants a jersey that helps them win the most. <laughs> They're perfect with this uh, flying skate jersey. So, I mean, how many more times do we see this? <laughs> well, and this will be my last game, guys, because uh, Buble is actually taking over for my color commentary <laughs> role after this. Um, I said he could have it. I told him, and then I told him what radio pays, and he was like, "Okay, I'm going to go on the road." <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, ah, I should never complain. I got the greatest. I mean, job if he the brings world. the the bubbly drinks, uh, then then I'm down. The you bubbly know, like, ones. I love you, yeah, What yeah. a great, what a great human being, though. Just yeah. kind and was uh, just a huge Canucks fan. Just a huge fan of all Vancouver sports, and you know, happy how he represents this city. It's so cool. We've got some great celebrities, including Satir Shah. Uh, yeah, well, that's definitely not a celebrity. Satir or Satir? Satir, yeah. Satir, yeah. yeah. I've known you this long, <laughs> and I just called you Satir. <laughs> it's all good. But how about Chase Claypool? You want to talk about a real star, NFL wide receiver, yeah. goes out and says, the Calgary Flames suck so bad. That was his thing. <laughs> right? It was celebrity night here. Uh. Uh, that was pretty good. Arena. Yeah, I love it. I love I, it. I don't we know just how need Ryan flame... Reynolds. Where's he tonight? Yeah, I don't know how the Flames felt about that one. But, <laughs> Renzi. Um... Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Renzi. That's what we'll call yeah. him for his hockey nickname. Renzi? I don't know. No, one of the other ones. Either way, it's fine. I know <laughs> uh, I know Chase Claypool's uncle is a big fan Poolsy. of the station. We're yeah. going to call him Poolsy. Uncle Nelson. So. Uncle Nelson. So maybe yeah. he was at the game with Uncle Nelson. I wonder. Yeah, everybody gets a hockey nickname. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, before we let you go here, Hershey, you know, a lot of talk to about Bo. We talked about him on the pregame show. Yeah. We had him on during intermission, and you could see how important it was for him to kind of get a couple here tonight. Yeah, he had confidence again. It all boils down to that. And the big boys showed up tonight. Yeah. Uh, and that's how the Canucks go. If the big boys show up, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna win some hockey games, and it's tough for them every night. Um, I thought Tyler Mott was great. It, they got throughout the whole lineup. I, th- I thought they, they played really well. Um, no passengers. And, and before the game, you know, I, I said this. I said that, you know, I, I thought it was going to be a, um, you know, a little bit of a smackdown for the Flames going for their, their win. And I'm glad I was wrong. And I, I said, but there is an opportunity that if the Flames come in and they disrespect the Canucks, that something like this could happen. And I'm really proud of this team for taking advantage of it. Well, Hershey, thank thank you for your time. We'll let you go. We are going outside the Canucks locker room where Connor Garland joins us after a big 7-1 victory by the Canucks over the Calgary Flames. And, and Connor, uh, it must feel pretty good to be on the other side, uh, 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 other side of one of these ones, right? You guys take a 5-0 lead and full command all game. That, that's got to feel pretty good tonight. Yeah, well, it's the end of a you know, long homestand, an important part of our schedule. We talked about how important it was for us to make a jump here uh, in the standings with this homestand, so to finish strong and uh, you know, kind of make up for that Anaheim game tonight is uh, is big points for us, and uh, hopefully it gets us rolling into this, uh, this road trip. Now, be honest, uh, you didn't see it go in on your goal tonight, eh? No, I saw it. I just I was unsure uh, <laughs> if if he got it and it hit the front bar or it was in the back bar and. Um, you know, the old adage, just line up quick, don't even let them look. So. <laughs> it was it was a pretty uh, impressive performance for the power play overall. I mean, uh, special teams is such a key. Uh, what worked uh, from your eyes uh, with the power play tonight? Well, when you get one early and, um, you know, you, you have a flank shot like that on PD, now they got to sit on it. And uh, then he can go over to Millsy, use Millsy, and then, you know, they got to sit on both of those. Now Huggy has tons of options, and then you go to your low play. So when you get one early, you set the tone for what you, what you can do, and um, then you just try to pick them apart. So it's always easy when you have one early. Well, and one of the things that Boudreaux's talked so much about is when you guys are skating well at even strength and putting the pressure on and, and putting that heat on the other team's defensemen, you can create turnovers, and it does generate a lot of offense. Uh, how did you guys feel about your 5-on-5 five five play tonight? Yeah, well, I'm someone who relies heavily on you know trying to produce five on five for this team. So, um, you know, when your legs are moving, you're a better player, and um, that's like you said, that's how you create turnovers and you pounce on guys and, and just make it hard. You know, I, you know, as a player, I try to you know just make a game hard for a defenseman so they wear down by the third period, and that's when you try to pick them apart. So, um, but you know, we we played well. All four lines were rolling. They got the best line in the league over there, and we did a pretty good job on them tonight. So it's uh, it's a good night for everybody in our locker room. It's a big road trip coming up now. Um, how, how do you carry this momentum forward? Well, you stay focused. You know, we understood the task at hand tonight, a good team coming in, and now we know, um, you know our capabilities of when we come in, laser-focused, ready to play. So uh, that's what we got to do on this road trip. You know, it's uh, big points for us coming up, especially against a great team like the Rangers, so we got to be ready to go. Well, we can't let you go without a question about the flying skate jersey. <laughs> uh, do you guys want to hold on to it for a while now? I said that uh, before the game, actually, to Millsy, standing right in front of me. I said, you know, these should be our jerseys all the time. These are beautiful. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play probably, you know, with the nicest jersey, the black one, the Kachina. But this, uh, I mean, I'd probably take this one. This is beautiful. Gloves look nice. Helmet. Well, I love a black helmet, too, especially my 4500. So looks good. Yeah, love it. Hey, great stuff as always, Connor, and best of luck on the road trip. Thank you.
that is Canucks forward Connor Garland. Got a goal tonight and helped the Canucks win 7-1 yeah. over the Calgary Flames here on home ice. Keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We are going to get to your phone calls as well. 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. We are going to hear from head coach Bruce Boudreau momentarily when he comes up to the podium. But, you know, like he mentioned, and we kind of talked about this during the intermission on that power play, when Pedersen is able to score on that one-timer, it just opens things up, and that's kind of what Connor was getting at. Yeah, I loved his answer too. Yeah, uh, when when you get the the flanker with PD, and then you then you can go over to Millsy, and he's got the shot, and then then Huggy's got lots of options. <laughs> <laughs> just going uh, going full hockey nickname, but he, he's so right, man. Like, and I know. You know he's on the second unit and uh, he's he's watching from the bench uh, as as the first power play unit just goes to work, but it just opens up so much when Patterson is willing to take that shot and he gets it going. It has to be such a worry for the opposition, yeah. and it it just wasn't for the longest time. Like even going back to last year, Sat uh, he lost it for a bit, but uh, clearly. That was back tonight, and uh, three points for Pedersen, four for Miller. The power play was was absolutely buzzing, and it had them uh, run away with it. No, they did, right? I mean, and when you take that commanding lead in that second period, the Canucks got five goals in that second all over the Calgary Flames, and it was by virtue of their power play. And I thought, you know, it was interesting, right, because at even strength, Calgary did get more shots on goal, right? And they had more shot attempts. And as far as just overall scoring chances, they had more of them, um, and especially in that third period. But through the first two periods, the Canucks actually had the better of the quality scoring chances in that game, right? And in the third hit, when you're up 5 nothing, score effects kind of come into it. But I thought what the Canucks did a good job of at even strength was despite losing the territorial advantage, they did a good job of being even when it came to the quality scoring chance advantage. And I think that was one reason why they were able to keep the Flames at bay, especially with the way Thatcher Demko played, and they took full advantage on the power play. The Canucks were absolutely working tonight. You know, they, yeah. they really generated – well, they drew a lot of penalties, uh, whether, you know, uh, from Pedersen all the way down to Travis Hamannick. Um And when this team could draw penalties, give themselves opportunities, it gives them a chance to, to do some damage. You know, the the big thing too was they didn't take any, you know, and that's how you know they were really on it tonight. They were disciplined in their game plan, and that's what this team needs. They can't afford to put their penalty kill out there all that often, yeah. right? And and they were able to do that. But I think, like Garland said, it it all started with focus and being. I mean, he didn't say this exactly, but being ready to play, which we know has been a a bit of a thing for this team all year long. But tonight they were focused from from the puck drop. And I thought even their first period, I know it was 0-0, they gave up a couple of breakaways. But in the overall, their first period was pretty strong, even though it was uh, still an even game after that. Hey, they even created on the, the penalty kill. Elias Pettersson scored a PK goal, right? Now, should he have passed it to Bo there? I mean, uh, Bo's coming with him. No, no. I Bo's mean, Bo's on behind two goals. Him. Bo's behind him. And by the time he tries to make that pass, Vladar is going to be able to come okay. over again. Just take the shot. <laughs> Now, if if they were if now we're being picky, yeah. Now, if Bo was say like even with PD and maybe a step ahead of him, then yep. I think it makes it easier for you to make that east west. He's pass. opening up and, and waiting for the the one T. But they're kind of close, and he's still kind of behind him. He's gonna have to pass it behind him to go over, which buys the goalie enough time. I think Pedersen made the right call. Okay, the score, man. Don't worry about it. Who cares? Okay, captain. Captain was on a hat trick though, you know. So you you gotta at least ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's fine. <laughs> Pedersen did his thing. It was a nice shot. Uh, keep getting your shot. <laughs> keep getting your text in uh, to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Sabres Rob says, for fun, can we hear a Coach uh, Sutter's pressure tonight, please? Well, we will get Honestly, the audio. that might be pretty entertaining. Yeah, well, it depends on how long it goes, but uh, we will bring you some of that, absolutely, uh, and keep getting more thoughts in. Bruce Della Bruce says, how do you channel the spirit of the 94 Canucks? Where are the black flying skate jerseys? And don't take them off till you got a playoff spot. That is Bruce Della Bruce. So I, um, I, I put it out on Twitter, like, you know, and I said this during Canuck Central. I love the black skate. I love the spaghetti plate jersey. Love it. It's great. Brings back old memories. Um, but I, I don't want it full time. Like, I, I think it's perfect the way that it is. Rarely used. You enjoy it that one time a year that it comes around. You really look forward to yeah. it. You know, the Canucks can put out a promo tweet, and you're like, yeah, they're wearing the black skate tonight. This is right on. Um, but. I don't know. Like, every player around the team is like, yes, we should use these all the time. <laughs> I mean, every last so, wearing I mean, black. I feel like they, I need to defer to the guys actually wearing it. Listen, like, uh, black uniforms are cool. And if you got a nice, fresh one like this, players are going to love it. I mean, it looks great. It looks fantastic. And especially yeah, Thatcher Demko. He could not look any better oh, man. than what he looked like Looked tonight. like Kirk McClain. Like, like, the only thing different Even was... Even the saves. Like, the poke check in the first. Yeah. The glove and, save. And then the glo- the windmill glove save with no stick. <laughs> Unbelievable. Classic. Unreal. I mean, you know what this movie, th- this movie, this game was? It was almost like a movie. It was like, it, it was like yeah. every great thing you wanted to see in the flying skate jersey happened. Yeah. Right? Pretty much. The glove saves happen. The fun goals happen. The power play goals. The one time was penalty shots. Like, this game had everything. Yeah. It really, really was a bit of a throwback to. Just didn't the, have Luke Shen taking down Nikita Zadorov. That, that's all it was missing. Yeah. You know, he's tried to go after a couple of guys there, Zadorov, yeah. right? I mean, and poor Matthew Highmore. I didn't know that a high sticking call, inadvertent high stick, meant uh, yeah. the other opposition's going to go after you and try to <laughs> decapitate you. You even see the reaction he had. He's like, yeah. It was a high stick, man. I didn't know what happened. I, mean, I think tempers were flaring after Chase Claypool just totally sewered the Calgary Flames. It's like, hey, we went to 10 in a row, and Chase Claypool is just like, Calgary Flames suck so bad. <laughs> so good. Uh, Rafe says, my only beef about this game, they show how well they can play. Like WTF, bring 90% of that regularly, and you're in the playoffs. And it goes back to the consistency. And that's something Boudreaux himself yeah. talked about, the habits, being able to find these types of efforts in you more consistently. And, hey, things kind of aligned for you a bit here tonight, but the effort was there. There was no, no point in this game where tonight I was like, you know what? They didn't have it here for five minutes. They didn't have it here for no. ten minutes. We could sit here and say, yeah, the Flames were dictating a bit more at evens at times, especially you know parts of the third. But then again, it's score effects at that point. But at no point did it feel like, okay, the Canucks are chasing this game here tonight. And that's something we have seen them do, even in games they get off to good starts, like case in point against Toronto. Yeah. Great first period. They won that game. But you kind of remember it was, a, it was really Toronto taking over the final two periods. We talked about in the pregame how Calgary – Despite winning the last few coming, you know, and they've won 10 in a row. But towards the end of this winning streak, you could see their game starting to slip. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to take advantage of that. And I don't think Calgary was at their best. Their details weren't great tonight. They still created a little bit. But the Canucks exploited them. And they worked harder than them. They didn't get cheated. Not once. Not tonight. Mm-hmm. The Canucks weren't going to get cheated. And, I look, it, this team can't afford to not have 
performances like that through the rest of the season. Yeah. Like they, they need to keep that level of, and it's going to be hard, you know, especially when you have back to backs and things coming up like that, but they have to be able to put out that sort of an effort on most nights. And if they are, they're going to win on a lot of nights, but let's remember they had three power play goals and a penalty shot. A lot of that they earned because they put yeah. Calgary into bad spots. You have to keep that going. You're not always going to get those power play calls. You're not always going to get a penalty shot. But when you're working like that, good things happen. And that's, uh, that's I think, the lesson for the Canucks out of, this, out of tonight's game. No, I mean, yeah. And you, when when you are able to generate offense, yeah. right, and you get a couple of goals, it also changes the complexion a little bit of everything you're doing, right? And, hey, this team still needs a lot of things to improve, to take that next step and everything like that. But there are things they can do well. And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Bo on the pregame show and about how, you know, he is the captain of this team, he's the leader on this team, and this lackadaisical effort – or this unevenness as far as the intensity of this team, well, you see it in Bo sometimes as well. And that's kind of what Boudreaux talked about today, saying, hey, when things aren't going well for Bo, he can't just wait for things to come to him. He's got to go out there and force the issue. He's got to go out there and win puck battles, be engaged, have the intensity. And he mentioned similar things about the team that when things don't go well for them, they have this glass-half-empty kind of approach. They feel sorry for themselves yeah. and things like that. And that's a mentality thing. We talked about that with Bo and how that's reflective for the rest of the roster and everything. And then you give him credit for playing the way he did tonight. And this is what they have within them, but you have to do this more consistently, right? And this wasn't the cleanest performance, but as far as the intensity goes and bringing it, being ready to play and having that with you, they had that tonight. But you still have to learn to make this habitual. Yep. Where it's not like something that happens every couple of games and then it goes away again. Now, hey, they were playing with good effort and then the Anaheim game happened. Yeah. Right? And those things have still occurred despite the fact of them having a run of pretty decent performances back-to-back. So can you put that inconsistency and uneven intensity behind you and be more consistent with that? Because that's what they're going to have to need. You know, the consistency is, is such a huge thing for this team. It's huge for every team. But... For this team especially. And when it comes to Bo, you're the captain of the team, right? And so, in theory, as you go, the rest of the team goes. And so, yeah, that puts a lot of pressure on you as the captain, but that's what wearing that C is about. Or else, what's the point of it? And I know, like, in today's day and age, we kind of wonder, like, what's the C all about? But it represents you as the leader of the leadership group. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, this Canucks team has had mixed results. And they can't keep having that. That falls on the captain. We'll continue that conversation and get to more of your reaction. But here's head coach Bruce Boudreaux at the podium. Yeah, I certainly didn't expect it to go like that. I mean, but uh, we'll take it. It doesn't happen very often, again, when you're playing such a really good hockey team. But... um, Everything seemed to be going right for us tonight. JT was in here a couple of moments ago, and he talked about a game like this setting a standard for where the level needs to be the rest of the season. Do you see it that way as well? Well, I, I can concur with him. I mean, that's where we have to be when you have to win, you know, 21 out of 30 uh, to make it. So, I mean, we have to play at that level. Um, today was a really – I just thought it was a vital game. And the, when the goaltender makes those saves that he did in the first period to keep you in the game – you know, eventually uh, 
good things are going to happen, and our power play was uh, as good as I've seen it, you know, in the second period, and that, uh, that sort of paved the way for us. What stood out to you about why the power play was successful? As it well, I mean, the first one was horrible, but then uh, the next three it was all about getting it, retrieving it, making, you know, every time we made a play, we got the puck back. We started off winning the face-offs, and then, you know, I mean, I thought uh, uh, the forwards and Husey did a great job of passing tape to tape and uh, and getting them uh, getting them moving, and then once they did that and, and Petey scored that first goal, uh, it seemed like the, the team got an awful lot of confidence from that. Will you be campaigning to wear the black jerseys? Again, or more often? Well, it, if they want to, and it, we keep getting results like that, I'll wear them to bed. <laughs> Bruce, you got six goals from Petey, from Miller, from Horvat, you know, three of your best guys. Mm-hmm. In a big game like this, I mean, that's a pretty bold statement from the best players playing the best, isn't it? And that is, and I was thinking that on the bench, too. And uh, uh, your best players uh, on any good team have got to be your best players on big nights. And this was a big night for us, and they were our best players, you know, and Hughes on the back end, too. So, I mean, uh, when you get um, production from all of those guys in a game like this, you usually have success. And Demko. Demko, you know, obviously, uh, when you look at it, our best player overall, and he was our best player again or the, the score would have been a lot closer. They, they really turned the night, too. Like, the goalie change was tough on the Flames, and your guys just went right at it and mm-hmm. made it happen. Well, we, we were lucky, though. I mean, we were still on the power play, and we were still feeling it. And so he, he felt the brunt of that right off the bat. Bruce, did you get a chance to see the hit on Dickinson? Um, uh, not really. Oh yeah, yeah. He was pushed into the boards. I, I, I didn't think it was it was anything um, bad or anything. I just think he he hit the wrong way, and that's uh, that would co- that's what caused the injury. How is he? Oh, he's he's sore. I mean, I don't know. He's gonna uh, go to the go go get a pitcher tomorrow, and then we'll know more. But he's sore today, tonight. You moved Mott up to that line a bit after he went out. How'd you I, you know, I, I don't mo- mind moving him up at all because, I mean, uh, you know, especially with it, like Dickie's a defensive player, Mott's a defensive player, Mott can can skate, and I think he gets in on the puck, and uh, uh, he's, he's a good fit for those guys. Bruce, what does a, a result like this do for your team going forward through, like you said, you you're ha- have to win basically two out of three uh, going forward here? Well, I mean... I would hope that it uh, gives them more confidence going on this road trip. I mean, you like to take your last home game, and that's your game that you bring into your next road game. And I, I hope that's that could be the case. I mean, it's obviously we're going against, I think, the first place team in the uh, in the Metro, so it's not going to be easy. Um, and it's a back to back. But I'd rather go in off a win than going going in. To those two buildings uh, next week, that uh, on a loss. And uh, Demko's glove save uh, midway through the it was second pretty half. good. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy can play. <laughs> what can I say? He's uh, uh, if you know if he was uh, back east, um, uh, you know they'd probably be getting a lot more attention. Bruce, late in the game, last eleven minutes or so, you've got three guys on your top unit sitting on two goals, um, but you 
were pretty careful about how you managed it, right, in terms of the personnel that you put out. Uh, can you walk us through some of your thought process and, and how you wanted to handle the end game? Well, first of all, we play them two more times. And uh, uh, I've always been a guy that just never wanted to pile it on. Once you know you're going to win the game, um, and you know you never knew they're a big physical team. The last thing you want to do is have your best players going out there in a meaningless situation and take a f- shot on the foot, especially on the power play. You know something like that. So, uh, and it was a, an ideal time to get guys that hadn't played the power play or hadn't played as much in normal nights to give them some more ice time. And so, uh, I think it it. it you know, it, it had a lot of good reasons to do that, and, you know, that was one of them. You talked a little bit about Nils Hoaglander earlier in the day. seemed like he put in the type of more complete performance, perhaps, that you were alluding to um, tonight. Uh, yeah, I thought him and Podsy both, like, I mean, they had multitude of chances that they didn't finish on, and, and in a year from now or two years from now, they're going to be finishing all those, and but it's the learning curve that they're going through that maybe they took a little too long or hesitated a little bit too much when they had like those two on O's down low or two on ones down low. Um, but it's a great learning experience and they compete. Uh, I love the way Pods always goes to the protection of his teammates. Um, and, you know, even if it's a door off, who's, you know, eight feet tall. Uh, so it's, you know, those are some great things when you look at those young guys. Thank you. All right. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux, who met with the media after a 7-1 win over the Calgary Flames here at Rogers Arena. Keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650, and your phone calls and reaction is coming up next. 604-280-0650. It is Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Do your feet hurt? Kintec can help. Talk to a fitting expert today at 11 lower mainland locations or online at KINTEC. Net. More coming up on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Pedersen breaks up a pass at center. He's got a shorthanded breakaway. Elias Pedersen in a load. Shoots. He scores! The Canucks are back in black, baby. It's 7-0. Well... I think they bring back the skate jersey for good now. Be campaigning to wear the black jerseys again or more often? Well, if they want to and we keep getting results like that, I'll wear them to bed. That was Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a 7-1 victory. I think he's got his new PJs figured out. It is the Canucks flying skaters. They keep winning. He'll wear it to bed. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Get your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. You're toll free, one 275 650 The jerseys were a big hit with the Canucks. The fans, too, of course. Connor Garland was on with us right yep. after the game and said uh, he loves them, wants to keep uh, see them keep wearing them. So we know the players love them. We know the fans like them. So what else is kind of popping before we go to the phone boards here on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, Dan? Holden and Poco with the best take of the night. As much as I like the black skate, the white skate is even better. Yes, Holden. Thank you. This is the one thing I keep saying and nobody uh, else other than Holden and apparently... 
Canberra, yeah. fearless leader Canberra, is also on board with this. The white skate is so crisp, so clean, so beautiful, they need to wear the white skate at some point, sometime, somewhere, somehow. It I has got, to happen. i got to see them again live in action mm-hmm. to get a good sense of it, right? Um, but, yeah, um, <laughs> I'll go – hey, read some more text, but I want to read this one from Alan. Miller is now top 10 in, in NHL scoring. He is now 10th in the league, 57 points in 51 games. Mm. So you're telling me he's worth more than Alex Kerfoot, Justin Hall, in a second-round pick? <laughs> is, that, is that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Just, uh, just checking for Leafs Twitter. Despite whatever Leafs fans <laughs> might think. Uh, Miller's four points tonight. I, I think I loved – well, I mean, the goal was incredible. Uh, the first one where he just snipes that top left corner in, in such a small window, but – Miller's performance tonight is kind of uh, indicative of just how impactful he can be. Like, he wasn't always popping at five-on-five, but, man, when he gets those opportunities, he just absolutely takes them. And Mm -hmm. it's it's become – you're almost desensitized to it because you kind of just expect it now after three years of him doing it. Yeah, no, I know. It's just – Makes it way, way too easy. Uh, this one, uh, unsigned. You guys are all wrong. The yellow skate jersey is the best. <laughs> totally underrated. Okay, now, now we're, like, really reaching deep here. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Ryan and Shimanis, good compromise. Orca logo on a black jersey. So now it's getting completely scientific. Somebody sent in uh, into my mentions the Johnny Canuck logo onto the, the black skate color theme. So... Now we're losing the plot, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nolan Merritt, this is the first time in a long time this franchise has played a full 60 minutes. If you can build off this, tighten up the special teams, watch out. That was a playoff team type of effort. R- reality is, Zat, this team can play really well for the rest of the season and still miss the playoffs. I mean, yeah, that that could very well happen, right? Like and that's kind of play six hundred hockey and still miss the playoffs, right? Absolutely, right. I mean, that can still happen. That's why it's so important for them to be closer to that sixty-five kind of percent, six seventy percent range if they really want to be in this playoff race. I know uh, Pardeep sent the question to me earlier and said, uh, if they do win two out of three and get the ninety-six points, is that enough to get into the postseason? If they get the ninety-six, I'd say yes, they're going to make the postseason. But can they get to that number? That's the big question here, right? Uh, yeah. This text. 96 is a tall, tall order. Uh, This text came in unsigned. Uh, I I think it is Rob, but but I could be wrong. Mm. And he says, uh, uh, can you guys – do you guys always have to state the obvious? And can you also mention how classy Boudreaux was the last 10 minutes of the game? And Boudreaux himself kind of talked about that. He was asked about – um, why he didn't put his first unit power play out there mm-hmm. against the Flames when they had a sizable lead. And he said, you know, yeah, part of it is you want to be respectful, and the other part of it is that's a big, heavy team, and we don't want them chasing around our best players late when we're trying to run the score up. Which Nikita Zadorov was kind of doing anyways. But, yes. uh, you know, he, he drilled Highmore into the corner. Then he went after Petey after a whistle. You know, like the Canucks didn't really respond too much, but uh, these two teams are playing three more times this year. So uh, maybe maybe you take a number and see when the opportunity comes in the future. And at the end of the day, you know, like 
Boudreaux didn't play a lot of those guys towards the end of the game. Yeah. I think for probably good reason, not just because of the score, but yeah, also to keep them away from uh, the Flames, who were getting pretty hot there at the end, especially after the Claypool thing and everything else that was going on. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of went after uh, high more for that high stick he had. Yeah. But I think the main reason perhaps was when Zadora was trying to go after Pedersen a little bit yeah. and it kind of scrum built up. And after that, you kind of saw some of the higher-end guys not get out there very much, right? Yeah. And Boudreaux kind of sensed the moment. And smart, I mean, smart, savvy play by the head coach in that moment. We already have the game in hand, right? Why uh, allow it to lead? to something else. I keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox 650-650. We appreciate all of them, every single one of them. Uh, so it's all good, whatever you say. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to the phone board, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And we go to Stuart in North Van. Stuart, thanks for holding on to your phone line there, buddy. Uh, what do you have for us tonight after a big 7-1 win against the Flames? Gentlemen, thanks for, uh, for taking my calls always, and I would wait uh, the universe's age to get on the lovely post-game <laughs> show with you guys. So no need to fret there, but I, I go, checked. Stu. I love it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. I checked my TV, the internet, my phone, and I was refreshing everything because I thought everything must have been just wonky because there was no way the Canucks <laughs> put up seven goals. They put up a touchdown and a conversion. And the Flames, they're on a trash team. They're the second-best team in the Western Conference. So let's, let's not get it twisted. This was a litmus test game, and they passed the flying colors. And it's something that we can all see and something that we've known – the entire season, even before the coaching and GM change, was that the Canucks have the weapons to do it. And when they're on their game, we are a dangerous, threatening team that can take on you know the upper echelon ranked teams in the standings. So, like these are the efforts we know the Canucks have had in them the whole time, and it's almost as though they're almost thinking and hearing about the trade rumors themselves because how difficult are the players that are in the trade mix making it for the fans and the organization to think like, well, can we move him? Because he just had a three-point night. He just had a four. I think Miller averages a point a period this, this damn season. Am I right, guy? Like, honestly, it's, it's unbelievable. He's on pace for 90. Can we talk about Quinn Hughes? He's on pace for 60. When's the last time a Canucks D-man broke 50? We have 15 players in double digits for points. I, I think you have to go back to, like, the peak Sedin era when the points trickled down to the third and fourth lines for that. And, I mean, it, it's honestly just – I don't know how the season turns out, right, because if we make the playoffs, it's going to be a wild card. If we miss the playoffs, it's going to be really close by a few points. So going into the trade deadline, like, how do you play this? Do you almost try to go for a run, but you don't have the money long term? Mm-hmm. So – I don't know. Like at this point, yeah. I don't know who you could lose realistically without it being a short-term bad look and bad move. I hang up. Listen, guys, thanks. Hey, thanks for the phone call. That is Stewart calling in from North Van. I know um, every win they get makes it you know a bit harder on the team yeah. to make those moves. And what the team has come out and said, and and I and I've and I believe them on this is that. They're not in a rush to do anything. No. Nope. And the more this team wins, and what did we say on the pregame show today? I said, hey, if you don't want to hear trade talk, if the players don't want to hear trade talk, win. Because yep. if you win hockey games, the trade talk's going to die down because you are going to get into the playoff race if you continue winning. But if you're winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, and you stay seven, eight, nine points out of a playoff spot, and technically you're three points out tonight, but yep. teams have games in hand, so it's a bigger gap than just those three points. But 
If you keep winning games, it will make that decision harder. And the reality here is this Canucks team doesn't feel like it has to do anything with its higher-end guys. And we talk so much about that. Yeah, something might happen at the deadline. You hear the names that get thrown out there. But as far as those meaningful players are concerned, they're not in a rush to do anything. It's um, it's foolish to think that the Canucks would just give up on the season that way. Um, especially when... Like it's one thing if you're tra- if you're Nashville and you're trading Philip Forsberg at the deadline because you're pretty convinced he's going to walk anyways in the summer. You know? Like Nashville, they're happy with their season, but they probably know they're not a Stanley Cup contender. Canucks are in the same boat. So the only player I would say that with is Tyler Mott. Like if you don't think and you don't feel the number is right to keep Tyler Mott by the time you get to March 21st, move on because chances are you're still going to fall short of the playoff bar because you are and need to play so well through the remainder of the season to get there. But other than that, like, what should this team do if they're still in the playoff race come March 21st? Stand pat. Unless you get a blow-your-doors-off trade for J.T. Miller or Brock Besser or Connor Garland that really makes you think, then sure. But beyond that, Sat, like what would entice this team to not stand pat after at, beyond March 21st? Like, there's just no incentive for them to trade anybody unless there's just a prospect on the table that they feel they absolutely can't miss out on or a player on the table that they absolutely can't miss out on. That's the only way I see them making a move. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. And, you know, Alex texts in and says to comment on the last caller, Besser is making it pretty easy to trade him. He's not worth the $7.5 million qualifying offers. A lot of those kind of do comments are coming draft. in. But that's the thing. You could also do it there. Now, hey, it all comes down to what you get offered. And what the Canucks, what we've heard is they've set a very high price for their players. So it's going to be hard for teams to meet that. And if yeah. they meet it, then perhaps, because then you can't say no to it. But I'm unconvinced that type of offer is going to come, especially if they're kind of in the race. And we'll see how that goes, because right now, yeah. all they're trying to do is stay in this quote-unquote playoff race. And, you know, right now, this is the best point percentage they've had Yeah, right now. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, they are three points over 500. They have 57 points and 50 uh Fifty, they have, 56 yeah, and 53. 56 and 53. So this is the best record they've had so far this season. That's not good enough to be in a playoff spot yet, no. but that's what they want to kind of tell themselves, and that's kind of what they're playing for here, and that's what they're going to keep doing as long as they possibly can. Every um, insider out there, if you don't want to believe us, uh, and Sat's pretty as uh, in tune with uh, as anybody else is, and he's been telling you this for a long time anyhow, that uh, this team is not so inclined to move on anybody just yet. But there's a reason why Frank Saravalli comes on the station and is like, yeah, JT Miller's name isn't really out there right now mm-hmm. so much. Uh, Elliot Friedman, in his latest 32 Thoughts, says... Toronto called Vancouver about Miller, but it didn't really go that far. So, you know, like you keep hearing this thing, the New York Rangers, there was an offer from everything we've we've been able to gather. Wasn't nearly good enough. So, like, who are you trading JT Miller to? For everybody out there that's like, you have to trade JT Miller. Like, who are you trading him to? Do you want to take a deal that's 
really not that great? Fine, go ahead, fill your boots. But that doesn't really make a ton of sense for the Vancouver Canucks. And you can't rule out the idea that there's a good deal at the draft for you. We pointed it out in the pregame. Think of the Calgary Flames getting Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm for Dougie Hamilton, a player they absolutely wanted to and and, and felt like they had to trade. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, this text comes in and says, "Stand pat, so they can stumble through next year like a like a drunk in the Canucks concourse." There's a whole off season after this. Well, here's the thing. Like I've mentioned so many times, changes are coming. There will be change. There will be roster moves. There will be a different roster here next season. Yes. The question is. Is most of that heavy lifting happening at the deadline or the offseason? Mm-hmm. The most likely place for most of that stuff to happen is the offseason. And this team isn't going to get fooled by a late run. They're not going to get fooled by even making the playoffs and be like, wait, we're going to go all in on the same core. The Canucks need cap flexibility to yeah. add to what they have. They have to make some changes. That has to happen. So for those that are worried that they're going to stand pat and not make moves, the moves are coming. The only question is, when are those moves coming? And right now, it seems like the bigger Ones are more likely in the offseason. Sat, even tonight, a 7-1 win. Yes. Bruce Boudreaux is out there and yelling to the top of Grouse Mountain. Our best player was Thatcher Demko. Yes. And look, the first period is 0-0. Demko makes two stops on breakaways. Makes a big save on uh, Manjapane, who probably could have got more wood on the one-time chance that he had in that first period. But he ended up making four pretty big saves in that first period. Without that, how different is this game, right? That's the way the coach is looking at it, probably. And he mentioned Patrick Demko is our best player. Everywhere you turn, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvine, anybody in the new front office is like, yep, we're a team that relies on great goaltending. And they also realize that if they want to be more than a team that relies on great goaltending, they have to get better in front of Thatcher Demko. So you've got the foundation. But this whole idea that the Canucks don't understand what they are and who they are and how they need to get better, like people need to stop thinking that because the front office has already told you that they know they have to be more than what they currently are. They haven't said it plainly in those words, but... It's pretty much everything you can gather anytime one of Jim Rutherford or anybody else talks. Right, and, and this person asks, if this team with this coach plays a 650 rate, why would you want to make any big moves? Because they have to make some moves because they don't. Ha- all they have money for is holding on to this team as yeah. it is. Like, they don't have any flexibility cap-wise to add to their group, right? And that's what they want to do. They want to get better. They want to improve the team. And that doesn't mean you trade everybody. There's not a rebuild coming. But there will be shifting that happens in an ideal world maybe they want to hold on to all their core guys and get rid of guys who are less efficient regardless there will be changes coming this team's not coming back exactly the same next season no matter what and again it goes back to them understanding you know the process of what's happening here and that you know the goalie standing on his head most nights to to lead you to wins isn't any kind of sustainable way of winning and even with how good the record is under Bruce Boudreaux, and we've talked about this constantly on Canuck Central, but all of the indicating numbers, the predictive numbers, suggest, yes, the Canucks are incrementally better. They are marginally better than they were under Travis Green. Well, more than marginally better. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, marginally is, is under. I mean, they, they were like bottom five in the league in all the metrics outside of shot. Differential. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So they, they, they've gone from being a bottom five team to, to closer to middle of the pack, yeah. about middle of the pack. So, like, th- 
they've become a lot better, but even if they were to play like this through the course of 82, they're still touch and go to make the playoffs, you know, um, with those types of metrics. So they understand they got to get better. I don't know what else to tell you. It, whether it happens March 21st or in the summer, they're going to be making some moves and at least one big one, you know, to shake up the cap picture to try and make this team better. Yeah, and they're not going to cut their nose to spite their face, yeah. right? They're not going to do that, you know. So, hey, and it all depends, right? Right now we're talking about in the moment. And the, yeah. the Canucks are in a position now where they have to win every week just to stay in the race. And this big four-game road trip's coming up. And what do we talk about? It's like you win this game, it gives you a chance yeah. to come away from that four-game road trip if you go 500 to feel like we're still in the race, so to speak. That's kind of where the margins are at. Keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650. Uh, let's go back to the phone boards. Uh, where we have Ryan and Richmond on the line. Ryan, thanks for, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, guys. Um, given how the Canucks usually played poorly against the Flames and the Habs last season, I would have never imagined them putting on this type of show for the return of Markstrom, Tanev, and Toffoli with fans in the building. <laughs> yeah. And to do it with the flying skate jerseys, what a treat. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the Canucks are now uh, – 4-0-1 with these uniforms since the beginning of their 50th season. Yeah, I'm aware uh, there are a lot of suggestions for this to be a full-time jersey or a regular third, but I think over time the fans will get bored of it. In my opinion, it's best to consistently wear it two to three times a year, just like I did two seasons ago. That way the buzz remains fresh, the anticipation remains fresh, uh, and the memories of the games they wear them in remain fresh. Thank you for taking my call. Ryan, you are speaking my language right now, pal. Hey, I'd be okay with it being the third jersey. So you wear yeah. like how many times do you wear your third jersey in a season? Hmm. Like more than four times, yeah. right? It could be up up to a ten times or so. Yeah, I like to see it like ten times, a dozen times. Why not? I, I like when it's just like rarely used, man. You know, it just. Yeah. I can do a few it, it more. It hits you in the feels every time you see it. It totally did. I mean, Demko tonight. <laughs> <laughs> just looks just like Demko Kirk looks Kirk so good. But, like, you know, if they bring it as the third, then eventually it's going to become the full time. You're essentially doing exactly what the Oilers and the Flames did. Right? Yeah. Like, the Flames brought back these retros as a third jersey, and then eventually it became the permanent jersey again. The Oilers, they brought back the blue, white, and orange, vintage 80s type yeah. look uh, as a third jersey, and eventually it got back and became their full-time thing. Um, and now it's it's just, you know, it's it's the jersey, and it, it doesn't, doesn't have the same nostalgic feel as it once did. So don't be those guys, and uh, just, just keep it as a, a, as a very rare, nice treat. <sighs> For everybody to enjoy. I want to see it at least uh, more than like two or three times a season. Uh, okay. That's that's what I'll say. All right, keep getting your thoughts into the text. I, I don't want everybody coming after me though. My no. mentions are just an absolute gong no. show since I came. Please, out with please this do text. not, please do not go to at Dan Riccio <laughs> underscore and please do not by any by in any way, shape, or form tell them how you really feel. Again, do not go to at Dan Riccio underscore and tell him how you really feel. He would very much not appreciate it. Plus, it's a spaghetti plate, so it just makes me crave, you know, food. Well, that's probably the biggest reason. All right, we have time to squeeze one more call in. (laughs) We'll take a break, and we'll come back to get more of your reaction and play some post-game audio from Canucks players as well. Ian McIntyre joins us for the final segment of the post-game show. All right, uh, let's go back to the phone boards, and we go to Abbotsford where Manny is on the line. Manny, thanks for calling in. Uh, What do you have here, here for us tonight? 
Gentlemen, I'm actually driving back from the game right now. Normally, I'm calling from Abbotsford. Nice. Um, but, yeah, gentlemen, I lived in uh, Calgary from 2010 to 2020, so usually a lot of games, especially after, like, 2014, the scoreboard score was the other way around. <laughs> and so okay. just to... Just to finally be back home and to see our boys and then rocking the black skate to walk away with a victory like this, I'm just driving home feeling saucy, boys. Like, what a victory. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, Manny, appreciate it. Get home safe uh, and keep uh, getting your thoughts in. Uh, so people were talking about how slow Bull Hor- uh, Brock Besser looks. People talking about he still looks slow here tonight. And Mike and Kelowna says they look way faster with the black on. I'm going to tell you who the fastest skater was tonight. <laughs> believe it or not, you won't believe who the fastest skater was tonight and what speed that player got up to. We'll tell you on the other side. Oh, and what we'll a get, tease. And we'll get to more of your reaction on the text inbox and the phone boards. We'll hear from Canucks players as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on, presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Do your feet hurt? Kintech can help. Talk to a fitting expert today at 11 lower mainland locations or online at kintec.com. More coming up in the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canucks postgame show. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. There's a wraparound chance for Kachuk, held out by Demko with the pad. Canucks get it to the line. Gabranson just holds in on the backhand. And it comes to Gaudreau. Into the slot for Zadora. Drops to Matthew Kachuk. Tied up by Mott. Now Rasmus Anderson through the middle oh. is stopped by Demko with a Kirk McLean glove hand save and a beauty. Thatcher Douglas Demko shuts the door and the fans are loving it. No stick. Wide open five hole. Anderson walks down the pipe into the slot. Rips it glove side high. And there's nobody near him. And Thatcher Demko, toe up. Kirk McLean type save. Unbelievable save from Thatcher Demko. Looking just like Kirk McLean. What a performance between the pipes for the Canucks as they win 7-1 over the Flames here at Rogers Arena. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Get your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650. We'll go to the phone boards here coming up in a second. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio. But you heard that save from Thatcher Demko. We'll play you more Canucks audio like JT Miller coming up in a second. But uh, the best quote that came from Thatcher Demko was about that save. And, you know, maybe conjuring the spirit of Kirk McLean. Here's Thatcher Demko. I, I don't think I've ever done that in my life, the, the windmill stuff. Um, it's never really been my game, so not even in practices or anything. So that was weird. Um, I don't know what came over me. Maybe a little bit of Kirk there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was a tight game up until that point. And, obviously, I tell you guys all the time, it's just my job to make the saves when, when they come. So... Um, just trying to do my part and give the team a chance to break things open, which they did. Power play had a couple big goals, and um, you know, obviously we killed uh, some penalties in the third too, which is is always good. So that's Thatcher Demko. I'm never really big on the Statue of Liberty stuff. Put a little extra on it. I have no idea what came over me. Maybe just a moment. Uh, we know Thatcher Demko is a big uh, Will Ferrell fan. He totally like. Never mind channeling Kirk McLean. He was channeling his inner Will Ferrell from old school in that moment, you know, at the end where they're doing yeah. the debate and he goes, 
<laughs> and he just goes off. Yeah. And then he's just like, what, what, what I happened? Just, I just blacked out. <laughs> but, I, but I put together a great performance. That just, was Thatcher Demko. He's like, man, that's, that's, not, that's not my game. I don't, I don't even know what happened. I just... <laughs> but it was spectacular. <laughs> Can you do that again in the future, please? That yeah. was an incredible save, man. I'm looking at, at like at Anderson's got it right in the high slot, staring him down, no stick, and he just absolutely makes it look like the most incredible windmill glove save you will ever see in your life. I feel like Jim Nance. Yeah. <laughs> in your <laughs> life, life have you ever seen anything have like that? Have you ever seen? No, we haven't. Well, we have. It's been a while since we've seen it, though. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, before we go to the phone boards, Dan, uh, what's popping on the text inbox? Uh, the Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Always mad about my uh, spaghetti plate <laughs> takes, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, this one from Michelle. I'm all about the vintage classics. However, if the jersey helps the team feel good, do good, and succeed more than most, bring the vintage jersey back, baby. And uh, that's uh, seemingly what is happening. Jordan and Poco, 80% of my Canucks gear is flying skate. I don't care what madness y'all speak. <laughs> I want it always. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this one from uh, Reed in Calgary. Anyone notice a fan in the building get on the microphone and blast? I just want to say the Calgary Flames suck so bad. The building erupted so sick. I mean, that's kind of down. That's burying the lead. Yeah. It wasn't just some Canuck fan. It was <laughs> uh, lower mainland native, yep. super uh, NFL star receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Chase Claypool. Yep. who uh, dropped that line. It took a while, like it took a second for it to click in because they played a Claypool highlight. <laughs> yeah, but it's like all of a sudden it's like in the middle of a commercial break and it's just like Ben Roethlisberger drops back to pass. I'm like, what? <laughs> why are they showing <laughs> Roethlisberger? All right, yeah, right Chase now. Claypool's here. That's why <laughs> Chase Claypool shows up on the screen. It was great. Uh, this one, uh, we, we've got a math whiz on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Ooh, Kevin, I like uh, it. Kevin and Langley. Just some math for you guys. Canucks have fifty six points. They need 40 points in their last 29 to get to 96. A great position to get in. I agree. Bruce Boudreau just hit his halfway point during his tenure this season. In 28 games, he is 17-7-4, 38 points in 28 games. Arguably, he has had a tougher first half trying to help Petey find his game and move through injuries to much of the defense at any given time, be it COVID or physical. The math doesn't lie, and if... We can march a full lineup out. We are on pace to battle for a spot. That's Kevin and Langley. Well, I am not going to tell Kevin to not believe. And everything Kevin said is true as far as what they need to do numbers-wise to get in. The schedule, however, is actually harder, especially coming into March. As you go into March and you get through that month, it gets a lot harder. It, it, they're harder opponents. They're tougher games, and it's going to be far more condensed. So there will be a big challenge. But like I said, I'm not, I'm not here to tell fans not to believe in their team. right? Yeah. I can have an opinion. We can sit here and say this is likely, that's not likely, and give our analysis. But I'm never going to tell fans not, not to believe in their team or, or hope for their team to go on a run or want to see a team get into the postseason. At the end of the day, it's entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to show up and cheer for your team to win. If that's what you want to do, have, have at it, man. Like It's been a tough season. You can believe all you want. I'm not going to take that away from any fan. Look, the math is just it's hard for the Canucks given you know what Kevin pointed out, quite frankly, just the fact that they need 40 points through these final you know, games. But 
final 29 games. But then you have the Oilers. They've got 59 points in 51 games. So they got two games in hand. The Kings, 61 points in 51 games. So all of these teams, not only do they have the advantage already on the Canucks, but they also have games in hand on the Canucks by a pretty significant margin. So that's um, well, that's they got to keep the same pace. That's it. And, and the thing Forget is, about the other teams, they got to keep the same pace that they've been playing on for the last 26 games. And that's the point that the text texture was getting at. But it's not going to be easy to play at that point, right? That's yeah. what from to Kevin and Langley. But hey, man, listen, <laughs> you like I on. said. You go on one uh, seven or eight game win streak like they did at the start of Boudreaux's tenure, and then <laughs> that's play all you five hundred seven or eight games. Fine. <laughs> that's all you gotta do. Win seven it's, in a row. It's fine. Uh, all right, uh, let's go back to the phone boards uh, and let's go uh, to Parm, who's on the line. Parm, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Oh, but we just lost Parm, but we have Ron. Let's go to Ron. What you got for us here tonight, Ron? Hey, what, what do you got for me? You, you said you're going to say who the, fa- the fastest skater was tonight. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I was going to oh, wait for Ron, I like Ron. Way to hold him accountable, Ron. I, was gonna, I love it. I was going to wait. Hold him accountable. I like it. I like it. All right. Others <laughs> texted in. You guys are professional broadcasters. How does it feel? Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't you throw professional at me, okay? Yeah. <laughs> That's a low bar for professionalism, uh, Ron, I got to tell you. Uh, okay, so uh, some people guessed, and nobody got it right. Somebody said Pedersen for sure. Somebody else said Tanner Pearson down the right side. The fastest skater tonight, clocking in at 22.6 miles per hour. Highest top speed. Number six on your Vancouver Canucks, Brock Besser. 22.6. 22.6. Uh, narrowly faster than Bo Horvat, who was 22.59. But, yes, believe it or not, and this is what we talk about, Ron, about yeah. Besser. When he's moving his feet, he's fine. you got to keep moving those not, feet. Not even lying to yeah. you, Ron. First shift yeah. of the game, Sat said to me, looked at me, he's like, Brock looks fast tonight. <laughs> Okay. Maybe it's the black uniforms, and and I agree with you. I I agree with you guys on the calls, but you know what makes the black uniforms look even better when you're up six to nothing. And and I want to say this: that uh, you know, I was listening to the pregame, and I heard Hershey say that he he thought that the the Flames would give the Canucks a, a, a smackdown. I knew then and there the Canucks are going to have a great game, and it was a great game. Now I, I want to ask you something. I, I, take, I want to take exception to something that that, that Boudre, Boudre, uh, uh, Bruce Boudreaux said in, in in his post game thing. You know, I, I don't understand this thing about that. There, there's a penalty. There's a the Canucks had a power play late in the third, and they didn't put out their first unit. Now I don't like. What's up with that? I mean, it's not like the it's not like the power play was that great this season. They need all the work and effort they they can get. And on top of that, there are fifteen thousand people in that building that paid good money to see the Canucks score. Hey. Let let them score. I got you, Ron. Hey, listen, we're just up against the clock. We'll respond to that on the other side. Boudreaux talked about why he didn't run the entire power play out. Keep getting your thoughts in. We'll respond as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on. Presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics and the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to the Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canucks postgame show. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Miller, wide onto the left wing board, slowly into the Calgary zone, back into the slot, delays, deeks to the forehead, he scores! J.T. Miller scores on the penalty shot, and he made it look easy. It's 5-0 Vancouver. 
Uh, go on to win 7-1 on home ice over the Calgary Flames. And this is the Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio. Keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650. Um, and we are going to play some audio here from uh, Canucks forward JT Miller coming up in a few minutes here uh, but uh, a lot of people are also asking the question where are your buddies Mott and Highmore on the speed list and where can I find this info well we have uh, access to puck tracking data which is not uh, publicly available mm-hmm. without subscriptions and stuff like that and we get that through work so uh, that's how we have access to this to this data so it's not as easily available Mott comes in at number three as far as the highest top speed here tonight. Besser at 22.64 miles per hour. Horvat at 22.59 miles per hour. And Tyler Mott at 22.09 miles per hour. And, um, yeah, four out of the top eight tonight were Canucks. Top three were all Canucks. Lamico came in at number seven at 21.69. Was not expecting uh, good old Yuho Lamico. And hey, this means top speed. It doesn't mean you're the best skater, for instance. Like the the player who covered the most uh, distance tonight was Quinn Hughes. 18,257 feet. Isn't that every night? Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) And as far as timed puck possession on his stick, Quinn Hughes at 2 minutes and 36 seconds. The next player was Oliver ekman Larson at a minute 25. It's so funny when you hear that stat. It's like, how many minutes in a hockey game? Like, Quinn Hughes was on the ice for 20-plus minutes, and he only had the puck for two. <laughs> it's the hardest thing for uh, for a lot of guys to get used to at the NHL level is just how quickly the puck has to go on and off of your stick every single time it comes with you. No, absolutely. And that's one of those things, man. Quinn Hughes, he knows how to possess the puck yep. and kind of carries it around with him as much as possible all over the ice. Uh, keep getting your thoughts in. We'll get to those coming up in a minute. And we are going to have Ian McIntyre join us in a few minutes' time. But uh, here is the man who had a four-point performance for the Canucks tonight, J.T. Miller, talking about how big this win was and getting going on the power play. Yeah, uh, a lot of familiar, familiar, familiarity. To, uh, to this unit, and I've played, you know, down low a lot, and he's played like interchangeable. Everybody else is pretty much set, and I just told him on faceoffs, like on the right side, um, he might as well set up there. If it's a quick win, he could bump it for a one timer, so it kind of makes more sense to beat them if it's a quick faceoff. So I think we just stayed like that a couple times, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, guys are just making some plays, and you know, it's nice to see you get rewarded for making some nice plays. Um, you know, we've been struggling getting it in the zone lately. I feel like every time we get it in, we get looks, and uh, you know, we knew the special teams had to be the difference today against a team like that, and you know, kind of got the ball rolling there in the second. What's it do for you guys to have that kind of performance against a team that's that good right now? Yeah, I, mean, I think we just kind of we just set a standard for ourselves for the rest of the year. Um, you know, I don't think that's not by winning by six goals, but it's they're playing the right way, being sharp on the special teams being ready to start the game like we have a standard like we need to play to that from here on out and there should be we shouldn't be we shouldn't be satisfied with anything other than that really so I think that's a big test we were saying that if you can't get up for a game like that at home against you know one of the best teams in the league like something wrong with it so um it's exciting for us but we've got to enjoy it and move on we got more games JT can you take us through the penalty shot yeah that was my first one in my career I think uh yeah, I just uh, honestly, just like a shootout. I like to go down the left-hand side. Um, I knew that he <laughs> just got in the game, which is very weird. But uh, I just did the move that I've done a couple times this year and had a little success with it. So I got uh, it's nice to see it going. When 
uh, a team has to make a goalie change like that? Are you guys cognizant of trying to get more pucks to the net quickly against? Oh, absolutely. Especially we were on a power play too. Like we talked to you know when when they made the quick change and he came in, we we all knew that pucks are got to go to the net, and we uh, it's kind of a goofy way to get a penalty shot, but you know we got rewarded. You get those first two goals on the power play. How key was it to get started like that on special teams, and then kind of? Uh, you've got that lead now, and you can force them to play your game. Yeah, I mean, last time we played in Calgary, I mean, we, it was the exact opposite. You know, we had a ton of power plays, couldn't even get set up. They outworked us, they out-executed us, and we knew that we had better than that and had to make a statement today. And it doesn't always have to be putting it in the back of the net. I mean, the elite power plays in the league do that. They'll, they'll kill you that way. But we had to just you work hard to get it set up. We were already struggling. Like, even in the first power play of the game today, we struggled again, and it was like, okay, like enough's enough. And... We made sure when we you know, when Bo won the faceoff, we got in the zone. We, uh, we didn't want to let him have it back, and I thought we did a great job of uh, coming up with uh, second pucks today, which, you know, they're an aggressive PK, so if the more we come up with second chances and second pucks, they can't play as aggressive because they're tired, and I thought we broke them down and uh, a couple nice shots. So. I know you're a big fan of the black jerseys. Will you be campaigning to wear them more often after a game like that? I'll be doing nothing uh, to campaign, but I love the jerseys. They're great. Any... <laughs> I forgot it. I lost yeah. my thought. <laughs> JT, at this level, like, do you guys in the room talk about trying to snap their 10-game win streak, or is it just an awareness that they're on a 10-game win streak and you have to be at, <clears throat> at a level? Uh, no, not from a win streak, but uh, we understand that we need two points, and if you don't come out ready to play, that team over there is going to kill you every time. So that's all we talked about. Be ready to play. You know, We have a lot of faith in our game 5-on-5, five five, and we know if we come out ready to play and so black and white and simple. You play the right way and you take care of special teams. You have a, we have a good chance to win and play. You know, we play well against every team in the league, like I've always said. So, what did you think of the first period, even though you got yeah. out of it? Yeah, no, it was, it was it was it was a good start for us. We needed that. You know, um, we had some good looks in in their end. Uh, you know, we stayed disciplined. We played simple. Um, you know, in the D zone, I thought we could have maybe eliminated a couple slot looks that we did better as the game went on. But you know, the game was pretty penalty oriented from the second period on. So, motion beating Markey. Especially on power plays? Uh, yeah, it's always nice. Like you asked me about Gibson the other night. Like, guys, you know, it's nice to score on. I mean, they're, he's, he's so good. So, I mean, it's, it's going to take a shot like that to go in against him. Uh, you know, he's one of the best in the league. On Garland's goal, it seemed like he really had no idea that he had actually scored. Did you see it go in right away? Or? Yeah, I saw it because I, I went to the net and, like, uh, I, it hit the, I think he got a stick on it and it went into the back bar. He couldn't tell. He actually thought it didn't go in, I don't think. So, uh, but it's nice to see him go. About setting that standard with a game like this, how important will it be to meet that level on this road trip with some of the tough games you have? I think it's up? everything. You know, this is a road trip here. We play well. We're right in it. Like we're full on in, in the in the playoff picture, and uh, we're trending. We've been trending that way for a while now. But I think it, at a game like that, like it's everything. Like we we should know how we need to play now. Anything less is not that's not good enough. And uh, we need to hold each other accountable to this standard and use this game as a little platform to, to always kind of fall back on and and. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we have a good chance. Like, we, everybody's got a chance here. We just got to worry about ourselves, take it game by game. You know, these, it's going to be a hard road trip for us. A good test to see, you know, what we're made of right now. And, um, you, know, you know, hopefully in a week or so, we're in a really good position. 
That is Canucks forward JT Miller. Big performance from him tonight. Four points, two goals, two assists, helping the Canucks win 7-1 over the Flames. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 with Sat and Dan. We are going to be joined by Ian McIntyre coming up in a few minutes' time. Now, uh, a few texts have come in bringing something to our attention. Uh, And there's a few of them. I'll read this one here from Dino. It says, can't believe you guys didn't get more info about the token woman announcer the last caller mentioned. What the heck was he talking about? No women on either Calgary or Canucks broadcast tonight. What? That is Dino. And uh, so that comment was made by the caller who called in right before we went to break earlier. To be honest, I did not catch that comment. Sometimes when we're getting ready towards the end of a break and I'm getting time updates, I miss some stuff. And I did not catch that comment. We went back during the Miller and listened back to it. And yes, there was a comment about a token uh, woman announcer who is Caroline Frolic, who was doing tonight, yeah. who was doing the in arena announcing on the PA because Al Murdoch was unavailable, uh, doing something else that he had to do for the National Hockey League. And Caroline Frolic filled in, and she's done that a couple times already here, Dan. And she's done a wonderful job doing so. Uh, and obviously, any comments of that nature are completely unacceptable. And we do not stand for that, especially when it comes to a colleague and a teammate like Caroline. Uh, Caroline's one of the best. Uh, she does a great job on the morning updates with OT every uh, Monday on Sportsnet 650, and especially when she is filling in uh, here at Rogers Arena. Uh, I feel bad that uh, we let that uh, slide in the moment as it happened, but there's a lot going on here as we're heading to break. Um, during the network hour, and uh, it unfortunately got by us. Um, I apologize for that. And Caroline, we love her. She's one of the best in the biz, one of the absolute nicest people you will ever find. So, uh, Caroline, uh, you're the best. We're sorry, we're sorry that uh, that got by us. Yeah, and we just wanted to address that because people yeah. did hear it and caught, and they did catch it, and we did want to make and sure. And thank to you to everybody that, that yes. pointed it out for us, please, uh, yeah. because that's uh, it's not cool. No, you're absolutely right about that, and yeah, we do not stand for any of those types of comments. All right, uh, keep getting your thoughts in, and hopefully some good ones here to the text inbox. We'll get to more of that coming up in a bit. Ian McIntyre is going to join us here in a couple minutes' time, and there's so many different things to delve into when it comes to a game like this, Dan, especially. Um, when it comes to the offense getting going, right? Getting saves from Thatcher Demko and the power play. And also, you know, the black skate, flying skate jersey. So a lot of really interesting talking points coming out of this game. A ton. Um, Like everybody's keeps talking about the the black skate jersey and um, wanting it to remain permanent. But, you know, there's like, it's not going to happen. Right, okay. It's it's kind of a pipe dream that we all have. Look, Canucks were great tonight. That's what you take away from tonight's game. And what are these players talking about? What, what, what did we hear from Connor Garland? What did we hear from Bo Horvat when we spoke to him in the second intermission? It's coming in. It's coming and playing focused, being ready for it and on it, playing a simple game. All of the – like it's a theme that you're hearing from every single one of these players – And that, to me, says that the message is getting through right now. They know what they have to do to be at their best and at least give themselves a chance to win on most nights. No, absolutely. Now, uh, when it comes to the other side of things, people have been asking us, what about the audio from 
Daryl Sutter, the Flames head coach. Oh, he looked ordinary. It. He looked upset. He did not look happy. Did you see him shooing away the ref at one point? Yeah, he's like, I didn't want to talk to you. Just, just get away <laughs> from right, me. Just get away from me. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm done with you. Well, they don't call him fast Eddie Gregory for no reason. He's back at the radio station producing the show, and he has. Is he faster than Brock Besser? I don't know. Well, I, uh, you know what? I would say he is. With this quick turnaround, <laughs> he is. Well, here is, here is Daryl Sutter talking about his team taking a sound 7 1 beating at Rogers Arena tonight. Close to breakaway or green. Uh, I thought we had a 5-5. Five and five. I thought our first two periods were really good. I think we took two dumb penalties across us and missed probably two or three close to breakaway or great A's in the first period. So give the other team credit. Play, uh, play a lot of energy and a lot of skill. Penalty kills been such a strength for your our penalty killers weren't very good tonight. Our defense as a group was borderline awful, so that reflected in our penalty killing. What did you see in the first period? Did you see? Well, obviously, it was a good first period. Was Second period too. <laughs> I mean, it was really good. Both teams wasn't nothing other than that. I mean, they scored really. They scored four, three power play goals and penalty shot goal after two periods. So, don't get too excited about it. It's kind of. Difficult for us to see from where we are. Was it skate blade for Marcus? Yeah, his blade came out and they couldn't get the other one back in. So, I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> Didn't have a skate. Would that go through the rubber boot? How tough a spot is that for Dan to come in? I mean, on the power play right away and then a penalty shot. Yeah. yeah, but that's part of it too, right? You know, that's their job to come in and. And he, and he played good in the third. That is Calgary Flames head coach Daryl Sutter, who is his personable best on the on uh, facing the media post game. So uh, that was the comments from him. Didn't seem too happy and said, nope. you know, awful defense, awful PK. Kind of had it coming tonight. Our uh, our D was borderline awful tonight. Is uh, is what he said. So calling out his decor for not being up to it, and um, a big reason why they lost. Of course, the penalty kill wasn't good for them, but. He actually uh, he liked their first period set. Yeah, you know he complimented the Canucks too. Thought it was a really good hockey game, and it was fast, good chances both ways. But it's kind of what we talked about. Yes, the Canucks had a strong first period, but the better chances probably went Calgary's way with the two breakaways, and Thatcher Demko was there to uh, save the Canucks again and give them the chance to to pull away in the second. Well, coming in to save the post-game show, the quadruple threat himself, the man who does it all, TV, radio, hockey night in Canada, and, of course, what else is it? I forgot the I don't know. I thought thought you're the one who came up with the quad. You guys should argue about it because Riccio actually – Digital. Riccio was the first to call me the triple threat, and you expanded it to quadruple. Because of hockey night in Canada. So the first three be radio, television, writing. Yep. And I probably got that in the wrong order. There's, there's no, like, real order. You know, it's just kind of like a, it's fluid uh, sort of thing. Uh, Sat came up with the quad. But, you know, I, I, I've i given you some, some expertise. Uh, the one thing I will never get out of, of my head Wait a minute. Is, is the Back gra- up. Did you just say you've given me expertise? Yes. Uh, <laughs> didn't really make a lot of sense. I know that. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget the the your sunset. I wonder where you got it. Your sunset pictures or uh, the picture of the elk on your way to the bubble in Edmonton. 
Oh, which is my favorite, or just those are your no, favorite? Those are my favorite. You're, oh, you're a fantastic well, you. photographer as well. Thank you. Oh, you know, I trained. I trained as a photographer. Oh, did you? Uh, when I got out of high school, in fact, in high school, I basically job shadowed a photographer at the Richmond Review. Oh, yes. And my my work was appearing in print, and uh, it was kind of fifty fifty when I went to journalism school. Am I going to write or am I going to take photos? And it was obvious to me early on that there were a lot more jobs for people who could write. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up <laughs> veering away from photography. But I still enjoy it. Yep. And you're uh, a, mo- a better wordsmith than I. Thank you. Yeah. Very, Thank you. Very easy to say that. I remember taking photography. It's one of the few things I actually do well <laughs> is writing. Well, I remember f- taking photography classes in high school, and you'd be able to like develop the films yourself too in the dark room and stuff like that. It was fun. It was <laughs> that was black and white. Yeah. Yes. Now uh, pe- people probably listening like what. You- what you did? What? Yeah, you developed well, your own pictures. I yeah, I gotta What's say, the sorcery you uh, speak of. Yeah, I gotta say, like the 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 digital photo age kind of wrecked photography for <laughs> a lot of people because there was there was uh, a lot of art and and skill involved. Not that I really possessed all that much of it, but for the guys who were good, like y- you wouldn't believe what a skill it was to say shoot a hockey game. Yeah, while you're focusing. Yeah, like not just pointing and, and shooting indiscriminately, but actually having to focus the cameras, the players moved, yeah. and change change uh, light settings and find the right balance between shutter speed and aperture, so you got the right exposure. It it was it was a real art, and then digital cameras just made everybody <laughs> a photographer, and and I kind of resisted it. I was the grumpy old guy for a while. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to say, and, and there's lots about the iPhone that I don't like, uh, seriously. Like, I think yeah. Apple could still do better. But the the camera <laughs> on it, they, they're still just finding their way this company. They'll never be a major orchard. Uh, I the, love this, like, the, the ca- tech tech the, reviews the by Ian McIntyre. The camera uh, that they have now is just phenomenal. Like, uh, I still have I, – I have a manual – camera a digital camera mm. i still have my old stuff that i haven't touched in 20 years but i have a really good digital camera but my my iphone uh, takes especially with its the ability to edit on it it's it's fantastic <laughs> so this is what i'm going to do when i stop writing yep just be an iphone photographer just be an iphone photographer uh, you, you've got that'd be a good it. business right yeah. iphone photographer <laughs> You can, you can pull it off. Sure. You could. I mean, Just hey, have a full Pinterest page. Do, can you, you imagine know? doing weddings like with an iPhone? Somebody pays me like whatever wedding photographers get now, 2000 bucks or something for the day. And I'm there with my little iPhone. 2000 like, I've like, heard they go up to like ten grand for the weekend or whatever. It's nuts. The photographer. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You get like two shooters and everything. Anyways. Two shooters. What? what no. Yeah. People go all out, man. I had more than two shooters before my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is why I'm not getting married anytime soon. All right, uh, well, but it's been great since then. Awesome, <laughs> fantastic. I mean, in the latest, in the, <laughs> in the last few minutes, uh, I think uh, he's gone up to an odd topple threat. You know, yes, as, uh, you know, uh, tech reviewer uh, yeah. as well as the uh, show over. Yet? Sorry, I'm late. I no. had to, I had to rewrite because Thatcher Demko was so interesting post game. You know, he's he's one of the guys where. When you talk to him in person and 
God, I miss having conversations. Like to actually, mm-hmm. you know, get to the bottom of an issue or just feel, find out how guys feel, you know, about things. I miss that. And he's one of the guys where I find he's among those where there's the biggest difference between if you can have a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. and and it's not just a bank of worrying cameras and recorders and stuff and just have a conversation about hockey or something about his trade craft. Uh, he's, you, you find out so much more than you can from him on a zoom call or a press conference where, you know, you get two questions, press conference might get three, mm-hmm. but tonight he was, he was really, uh, really interesting about, you know, the, the goaltenders who have come before him, why he, he wanted to honor Kirk McLean and, and, you know what, thinking about this 50 years, there's not a whole lot that's been uh, joyful, mm-hmm. although the Canucks have had, it's hard to remember now because it's been like seven fairly dark years, but mm-hmm. they have had uh, extended runs where they were they were a good team and a fun team and they had exciting players. But in goal, I mean, there were some lags in there, but if you go from Gary Smith in the mid-70s and Richard Brodeur, in the early 80s, McLean came late 80s and most of the 90s. And then this century alone, you know, Luongo and Schneider and Markstrom and now Demko. And you even had Ryan Miller, who, yeah. was, mm-hmm. who was one of the best of his generation come near the end of his career. It is, it's been, you know, a great run of goaltenders and, and Demko recognizes this. I, I thought that was so interesting how he said post-game, he's aware of it for sure. And as a goalie, you always have responsibility in general. But when you're coming, when legends of the game have come before you, or legends for the franchise have come before you, uh, that's a weight that you need to take on and make sure that you're you're living up to those standards. And I, I just thought that was so interesting and, and candid from him. So I had to do a lot of rewriting. This is right. my explanation for saying why I'm late. Now due to my explanation, our talk of photography, the show's over. So <laughs> we have I'll see you guys on Sunday. <laughs> pretty much. We have a couple for a minute. But no, but, but I mean, more or less we're there. The interesting part is the only time during the past like 40 years really the goaltending was a bit of a black was was a bit of a dark hole. A black hole was the West Coast Express era, and even then, I mean, Blucci set records for most wins in a season yeah. that year. But in the postseason, is obviously yeah. where they wins didn't are in Clutch is it. People think it was worse than it was because of the failings at playoff time. But Dan Cloutier was a, a a good, solid NHL starter. He just failed to get it done at playoff time and then especially the goal against Detroit the mm-hmm. Lidstrom goal from center. No, I mean that you, that you can't escape that. Yeah. Like you you're you're not going to outlive that. The darker period was actually before Cloutier got here. They ran through yeah. three or four goalies and none were, you know, terrible. They just couldn't Burkhart, find Gar Snow, they, they couldn't oh, yeah. find Archer Zerbe, Archer Zerbe, Gar Snow, Felix Potvin, Kevin Weeks. Bob Essesa ended up being the best one, and he Bob was backup Ess- Bob. Yeah, he <laughs> uh, he outplayed. I'm trying to think who he outplayed. It was Kluchier initially, wasn't it the first year? Uh, maybe it was. Maybe it was. But I mean, they had guys, and and they actually had they had the right guy in all of that. The, I yeah. think Sean Burke was a Canuck for about ten minutes before Keenan <laughs> traded him again, got him, and then traded him again. 
but that was you know that was a, a dark spell but there were times in in the 80s and uh, in the 70s and i was only a little kid in the 70s but i remember the 80s really well where the goaltending wasn't good enough but the goaltenders probably always outperformed those teams mm-hmm. like when the goaltending was was inconsistent the team was awful yeah. so the goal the goalie was still better than the team but this century with with the goalies that they've they've had in this organization it, it's it's you know, a pretty impressive list. This this line of ascension that has brought Thatcher Demko to this is is pretty impressive. And and what I find interesting as well, these aren't guys that typically they they went out and got. Like yeah, they they made the blockbuster for Luongo, and Luongo was already a great goalie, but he was he was even better after he came to Vancouver, and he won a lot of games in Vancouver. Didn't win games when he was in Florida because the team was so bad. Went to a Stanley Cup, but the the goalies have been homegrown since then. Corey Schneider, who is sort of the nearest thing to Thatcher Demko in terms of of their drafting, developing their journey, you know, developed uh, under Luongo. Luongo helped mentor him, and then you know a very strange situation. They both left, mm-hmm. but then Markstrom yeah. comes, and Eddie Lack was here with him, and then Lack had his best spell as an NHL goalie here. And and then Markstrom replaced him. There was there was Ryan Miller in there, and then you know Markstrom helped mentor and and work with Thatcher Demko. Now mm-hmm. Demko has replaced Markstrom, and it's just to me uh, it, it's a really impressive line. And and there is a lot to uphold for Thatcher Demko, but I'm glad he feels that way too. I'm glad he recognizes the history around him because it's so easy to say, oh. History is all terrible, yeah, you know. Right. But you know, when you when you look at, it, especially at that position, there are some impressive people who've gone before him, and he knows that. It's the aura of the black jersey. I love that. <laughs> no, they that did that. Yeah. I I'm not crazy about the white one, the white jersey with the skate in it. See, but Cam and I love it. The, the white, white one. one, yeah. No, the the black one. The black one is really. It seems really like cool. every player wants to keep it, but it, uh, look tonight they, they win seven one. It's, it's all uh, the jersey. <laughs> it's all the jersey, right? Um, but uh, it we, was spooky, by the way, how closely uh, Demko resembled McLean. I know, like, especially like, with the poke check, like in the, the first uh, period. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, the and the windmill, the windmill the save. Windmill. I, I'm sure you guys got the audio from. He that. was a spinning image outside of the number and the nameplate. Yeah. Well, and the style, yeah, like the style. But Kirk was a stand-up goalie, so he wasn't fl- flopping around as much as some guys were in that area era, but. Man, when you when you time capsule pull out of the time capsule goaltending from the 1990s and look at the guys now, like man, oh man, has that position ever evolved? But in appearance, uh, just so strikingly similar. Before we let you go, we're just at the end here. Seven-one win for the team. They go on this four-game road trip here, and Boudreaux talked about how important this game was. We had Carter Garland on right after the game, and he said we had to get this one after we lost against Anaheim. Hey, we can sit here on the outside and talk about how hard the playoff race is, and fans consider and say go and trade at the deadline and all that sort of stuff. But they really believe that winning this game kept them in the race, and they really believe that if they can go out and win two out of these next four, they are in the playoff race. The question is. Can they go out and do that on this four-game road trip? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's going to be tough at the end by the time they get to Toronto. 
but they can they can find a way to win uh, a couple of games. Uh, they could also go zero and four, mm-hmm. and I'd say zero and four is probably more likely than four and zero if you're looking at it realistically. Mm-hmm. But they can absolutely find a way to win a couple of games. You know that that really tough road trip they had after their long break in January, after the the COVID and schedule shutdown, where they went back east and they lost to uh, Tampa and were so-so. They lost to Florida. Did I get the order wrong? Was it Florida first, then Tampa? It was Florida first, Florida first, Tampa, yeah. where they were so-so. They were great in Tampa yeah. and lost. Lost in Carolina when they were – those are the, were the top three teams in the NHL. And then and then they went and won in Washington and Nashville, where yep. nobody, including myself, gave them much of a chance. Washington thought, was second of a back-to-back, too. And, and I thought by the end of the trip, you know, they're going to be tired. Yeah. So they're going to be rusty at the beginning, tired at the end. Where are they going to win games? Well, they still found a way to beat yeah. two really good teams on the road. So they can absolutely find a way to win two games on this trip. But, 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 they have to play a lot more like they did tonight mm-hmm. than they have in almost any of their recent game. Because even a couple of the games they won, they weren't great. I mean, the Demko beat beat the Leafs. Yeah. Uh, the Kraken helped beat the Kraken. Uh, but the Canucks did better in that game. But, you know, this was their best game by a long shot in a long time. And they they need to find a way to do this. I, uh, we'll see if JT Miller is, if the team's able to back up what he said, where yeah. they now have this standard. And the standard isn't beating teams by six, but it's, it's uh, being prepared to start games, being uh, good on special teams, and, you know, being engaged and ready to go and, so we'll have better see. habits. You hear a lot of the coaches talk about the habits. Yeah. Well, it, it, we could go another half hour just talking about that <laughs> yeah. because because that is part of yeah. – that's a theme with this organization right now. And if you go back to some of the things Boudreaux said about practicing and I and how to take a day off, the team's not as mm-hmm. good next day at practice. And I talked to Patrick Alvin about that uh, uh, this past week. What day were we? A couple of days ago, yeah, I guess. I wasn't able to get it in my story on sportsnet.ca, but he said some really interesting things about practice and standards and how in Pittsburgh this was never an issue because you had Sidney Crosby, one of the best players in yeah. the world, but also one of the most conscientious, hardworking players in the world who drove that team every day to be excellent at practice. It didn't matter what it was. Mm-hmm. He was When he came to work, Sidney Crosby came to work, and everybody followed, and that's what they're trying to get around here and they're still working on that culture tonight i mean it's easy to to be you know dismissive about it because the canucks won seven one but losing markstrom and tanev that was a huge blow to the culture mm-hmm. and yeah. they still haven't recovered they're still trying to figure that out mm-hmm. with these young players in this generation of canucks it's a big theme going forward no, it is, and you're right. Uh, that growth from the individual players might be the biggest part of it as they head into the new era. Ian, we make sure to read your latest on sportsnet.ca. I can't miss, as always, and you can listen to Ian throughout the week on a number of different radio shows <laughs> yes. on Sportsnet 650, like Canuck Central, that Dan, Rachel, and myself sat to your show host, 4 to 7, Monday to Friday. And I'll be on uh, tomorrow. Oh, we're excited to see. 5 p.m. You probably Fire don't even know that. Now I know. You're probably now the last know. to know. Now I know. That's All that matters is I know I'm now. I'm back at 5. <laughs> we'll have to ask you about Jamaican patties then. Oh, yes. Jamaican beef patties.
we'll have to talk to you about that. He is seem he's so confused <laughs> right now. We'll talk about that tomorrow and more. Thanks everybody listening on the Canuck Central Post Game Show. We appreciate all the interaction and everybody being part of the show. Uh, thanks to Cam, our producer at the radio at at the Jim Robson Broadcast Gondola. I'm done. Very clearly, I'm done. And also, special thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory at the radio station. This has been the Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics in the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.